Welcome to Premier Health Now On Air. Today we're talking first aid because there is no more helpless feeling than not knowing what to do when someone you care about is hurt. What should you know? What do you think you know that's not true? And how can you brush up on your first aid skills? I'm your moderator, Leslie Lane, and with me today is Jeff Penny, family nurse practitioner with Premier Health Urgent Care. Welcome, Jeff. Hello. Thanks for having me. We think of first aid as that do-it-yourself response to a minor problem. The issue is, for untrained first aid responders, how can we tell when we have a real emergency on our hands instead of something we can handle with first aid? Sometimes it's tough to always know uh, what the right answer there is or what you can deal with at home. If you do have a question or you don't feel like you know what to do in that instance, you know, reaching out to a healthcare provider is always a good idea. There are some basic things that you can take care of in yourself that don't always need a medical evaluation or can be dealt with, you know, with some of the over-the-counter medicines and some knowledge of first aid. So we'll get into some of these specific issues, but I wonder if there are situations that we should always treat as a real emergency. Certainly, there's some things that are always an emergency. Um, you know, you don't want to really deal with uh, chest pain or if you're feeling short of breath, you know, I can't swallow or you feel like you're having symptoms of allergic reaction. Um, you know, certainly if you had any kind of major trauma where there was, you know, loss of consciousness, any type of stroke symptoms, you know, weakness, difficulty with your speech or a severe sudden onset headache, you know, bad abdominal pain, things like that just really shouldn't be messed around with. And it's just better to seek treatment. So in a real emergency, we first call 911. But then how can this, again, untrained responder assess what kind of aid to give and steer clear of doing more harm than good? Are there some triage basics we should know? Definitely, you know, want to get the help on the way as soon as you can, like you said, calling 911 first. And then, yeah, seeing in any way you can maybe assist the injured person. You know, sometimes it is better to kind of, you know, keep your hands off if there's a, a case of trauma. You're not sure if there's been, you know, a, a spinal cord injury. If you're not trained in, you know, keeping them immobilized, sometimes it is better to let them sit where they are until somebody is trained in that. You can potentially worsen an injury, um, you know, if they have any broken bones in the spine it could become problematic. And then certainly, you know, trying to get any history, health history with the person that you can, you know, being there for them and trying to provide them comfort is always helpful. And then, you know, being able to be that kind of voice for the patient when the first responders arrive and let them know what you've witnessed, what you've seen and things maybe the patient is unable to, to tell them themselves. I would think that most homes have scattered around the house nearly all of the elements you would want in a first aid kit. Can we talk about how and why we should assemble them into a kit and what are some of the must-haves? First aid kit is good to have, you know, keep something uh, in a central or known location where it's kind of all together, uh, either in your house or maybe even something in your car. You know, oftentimes these types of injuries or things come up when you least expect it or not really prepared for it. So better to have that stuff ready so you're not hunting around when you do need it. You know, any types of injuries that might involve bleeding, you know, cuts or something like that, you're going to want, you know, some sterile dressing, sterile gauze, maybe a variety of band-aids and things to put on there that you can apply quickly if you do, you know, cut yourself or someone else gets injured. So what would we keep in a first aid kit? 
Definitely the the bandages, like I mentioned, uh, it's good to have some, you know, antibiotic ointment, some common medications that are helpful, you know, ibuprofen, Tylenol, Benadryl can be helpful in the case of allergic type reaction, the Tylenol and Motrin, you know, good for a lot of different aches and pains. You could also keep some, you know, topical hydrocortisone cream or calamine lotion, Benadryl cream. Those things are helpful for a lot of the common rashes or poison ivy type things you might come in contact with. You know, if you want to kind of step it up a level, you could also look into if you feel comfortable or interested in getting like a tourniquet. They sell those pretty commonly, but those are for more, you know, serious uh, injuries or heavier bleeding. But they can be life-saving, you know, help stop bleeding. And really uh, time is, you know, of the essence in those types of situations. So you can really save someone's life if you, you know, feel comfortable and, you know, want to purchase something like that. Do we need to worry about those kinds of medications expiring if I'd stock the kit and I don't use it for a few years and I look at it and say, oh, it says it expired in 2018. It is best to go by the expiration date listed on the bottle. For the most part, taking a medication that's you know slightly expired is not usually harmful. Sometimes it loses some of its effectiveness. So it is best to stick with yeah, the manufacturer recommendations. So we should probably go back in and check every so often, to rotate expiring things. Sure, definitely a good idea to make sure you're checking on the expiration dates and rotating those out. You know, you could try and keep it at the same time of year, you know, when you change your smoke detector batteries or something like that. The Mayo Clinic lists some recommended items for a first aid kit, and I was surprised to see that it included um, super glue, duct tape, and a turkey baster. So <laughs> what might you do with those things, Jeff? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, super glue can come in handy for small cuts. We use something you know similar in the urgent care. If you come in with a minor cut, a lot of times we can use essentially super glue to hold it together. Sometimes we can use that in the place of sutures. So it, it usually works pretty well for minor cuts. Duct tape, uh, I'm not entirely sure what you'd maybe use that for. I guess if you had a bad injury where you'd need to really try and apply a lot of pressure. You could use duct tape. It's pretty sturdy in that sense. But the turkey baster, I'm wondering if they would use that as a nasal aspirator. You could maybe pretty suck big. a lot of <laughs> secretions out if, you know, you have a lot of nasal drainage or congestion. Sometimes it may help with that, similar to a pediatric nasal suction. I wonder if it would be useful in flushing a wound if you've got a particularly dirty cut. That could potentially be a use for it as well. We think about stocking supplies in a first aid kit, but not information. What kinds of forms or contact numbers should also be in there? Yeah, that would be a good thing to also keep in your first aid kit. You know, keep that uh, medical information handy, whether you have any medication allergies, a list of your medications. If that's, you know, printed and legible, that's a, a great help for first responders and medical personnel. Additionally, if you, you do have a, a lot of history or you're getting up there in age, you can think about including a living will or a, a DNR. You have those papers in a centralized location. So if that emergency does happen, you have those papers ready to go. You're not rushing around, you know, causing added frustration in that moment. So we're thinking of the first aid kit not only as the minor issue solution, but a place to keep some information if it turns into a 911 call. Definitely. I think that's a great idea to keep that all in a centralized spot. So it's good to have this well-stocked kit. Now, what should we know about actually using it for common injuries? Let's just say minor cut scrapes. What's the first thing to do? 
For most minor cuts and scrapes, the big thing is, you know, getting it clean and then keeping it clean to avoid infection. Your body's pretty amazing. It'll heal itself. Most, you know, minor cuts and scrapes do heal with a little time. They often, you know, will mention hydrogen peroxide to cleanse wounds. It's been used, I think, since the 1920s as an antiseptic. And it does, uh, you know, have those antimicrobial properties. But they found that it also may damage some healthy tissue as well. And they've kind of moved away from that as being a, a first choice for, you know, wound cleansing. Standard soap and water works really well. And that would be kind of my go-to for most cuts and scrapes. And then putting some antibiotic ointment on there and, and covering it and keeping it clean and allowing your body to heal. What if the bleeding is bad? If you have bad bleeding or uh, you can't get it to stop, initially the first things are applying direct pressure. And you can, if it's on extremity, you can hold it up above the level of your heart to try and minimize that bleeding. If it's heavy or what you consider severe bleeding, if you can apply some type of tourniquet you know, above the level of the wound, Again, if it's on an extremity, you know, and then seek immediate first aid or call 911 would be a good recommendation. Is a bloody nose that won't stop a special case? That's kind of tough. Most people, bloody noses are pretty minor and they can be dealt with at home. Some people who have really severe bloody noses or elderly can get into trouble. You know, such uh, large amounts of bleeding that it can make it hard for them to breathe and can be a real life-threatening emergency, especially if they're on any type of blood thinners like Coumadin, you know, Effiant, Plavix, some of those things. So what should the first aid responder do in that case? If you have somebody with a severe nosebleed, you know, especially like an elderly individual, you want to apply pressure to the nose and generally have them tilt their chin down to help them. A lot of times if you tilt your chin back, a lot of that blood goes into the stomach and can make you sick and cause some other issues. So yeah, applying direct pressure and really holding that pressure. Um, you can use, you know, a tissue or something like that to try and pack the nose to help ease the bleeding. And again, if you get worried, contact help. Right. If you're having trouble getting it to stop or the patient, you know, has any trouble uh, breathing or you're just really concerned about the volume of blood loss, then definitely call 911. How about sprains and strains? Fairly common injuries, you know, sprains and strains, some, you know, muscle pain or joint aches that come up. A lot of times you can attempt home care with some anti-inflammatories, NSAIDs, Tylenol. You know, they talk about rice is uh, rest, ice, compression, elevation to help with those types of injuries. You know, if you feel like you did have a bad trauma to a joint, your ankle or something like that, and you're having a lot of pain, can't walk on it, then it, maybe it is better to come in and, you know, get some imaging x-ray to rule out any fracture. Are there any telltale signs that I'm dealing with a broken bone? Sometimes it can be tough. Some people, you know, have fairly mild symptoms and are able to walk on, you know, a broken ankle for a few days and they don't complain of a lot of pain. So it, sometimes it is hard to say for sure whether it could be a sprain or a fracture. But if it's persistent or in severe pain or like I said, they're concerned about significant mechanism of injury, you know, a lot of force behind it, you know, more likely to cause broken bone. How about burns? Burns, another common injury that people encounter. Minor burns can be dealt with at home. First degree burns or you have some redness around the area that was burned. The initial you know, treatment is to remove that heat source. So um, you know, if you come in contact with something hot, obviously removing that from you and then you can run, run the burn under some cool water 
You don't want to freeze it. You don't want to put ice on it. That can cause further tissue damage. But cool water can help ease the burn. And then another thing we worry about with burns is them getting infected. If you do have some, you know, blistering, your skin is the first line of defense. So anytime that's taken away, you're prone to an infection. So you have to monitor it well. Antibiotic ointment can work as a, a first aid use. And again, the NSAIDs, Tylenol are helpful for the pain. Burns can be pretty painful. If it covers a large portion of your body or it goes around an entire extremity, what we call circumferential, you can run into trouble with too much swelling that can impede your blood flow and things, and you definitely want to seek treatment. How about allergic reaction? It can start small, but then get bad fast. Certainly, yeah, allergic reactions. There's all different severities, you know, from a mild itchy rash to a full-blown anaphylaxis, a life-threatening emergency. If you have a history of allergy or bad allergic reaction, more concerning that you could, you know, be having a more serious reaction at this time, you would want to talk to your healthcare provider about getting, you know, an EpiPen if you've ever had anything like that before. For some mild itchiness, Benadryl is an antihistamine that works well. For rashes, you can also use Benadryl cream, hydrocortisone cream over the counter if it's just some localized itching. But certainly if you're having any tightness in the throat, swelling of the lips, tongue, or face, trouble swallowing or breathing, those are emergencies and really best evaluated in the emergency department, calling 911. If you do find yourself in a situation where somebody has to use an EpiPen or you have to help them use your EpiPen, it is life-saving, can make them feel better, but that doesn't mean the emergency is resolved. Sometimes the allergic reaction can persist, and really, after using the EpiPen, the next step should be calling 911 and getting them to the emergency department. Are there some common first aid myths that you wish people would just stop doing? One thing is people putting like bleach on their skin for uh, bug bites or poison ivy. I've seen that fairly common. Not a good idea, just, you know, too caustic to the skin. And that one seems to come up fairly often. I'm not sure where that comes from. I imagine you also see a lot of preventable injuries. What are some of the big do's or don'ts you'd like us to keep in mind to avoid trouble so we don't have to come see you? At least in the summer and spring, we see a lot of poison ivy, so trying to avoid coming in contact with that stuff. Sometimes it is maybe unavoidable, but being cautious or conscious of you know where you're working and maybe wearing long sleeves, trying to keep your skin covered and, and washing your skin off kind of right after being out in those environments. Other injuries we commonly see are... You know, falls or things like that. Sometimes it's unavoidable in the winter months when there's a lot of ice and snow. Definitely have to be mindful of that. Seems like whenever there's a bad snow or ice storm, people are falling down left and right. They talk about keeping hands and arms to your sides and kind of walking like a penguin, waddling so you don't lose your footing and fall. A lot of times people's reaction is, you know, to catch themselves and they can break extremities or wrists and things are pretty common. Using common sense most of the time, if you're in the, the kitchen and working with a knife, try and stay focused on what you're doing and not doing so much multitasking or trying to have other conversations that might end up cutting your hands and things. There are a lot of household items that we use every day in the laundry, in cleaning supplies. Can you speak to issues of poisoning, especially with the little ones who think those little dishwashing gel things look like candy. 
It's unfortunate that's come up more, but uh, they look appetizing to little kids. So those things you got to be conscious of and make sure you're keeping them out of reach. There are a lot of things in the house you may not think about, especially if you don't have little ones. But as you mentioned, the, the laundry detergent tablets, medications, you know, if somebody's on a lot of medications, they leave those in easy access of children, but they really should be locked up and out of reach from kids because Kids don't know, and it's easy for them to consume some of those medications that are really not meant for kids of that size and can be life-threatening. Knowing how to give effective first aid, as you say, can actually be a lifesaver. And classes are available locally. Can you tell our listeners where they might look for one? The Red Cross, um, YMCA, those are good resources. And then there's always American Heart Association that offers CPR training and some first aid. Those would be good options, yeah, especially if you're interested in being able to do those things. CPR can be great and life-saving. More people that are trained is, is great. So accidents and injuries happen without warning, obviously. Now is the time to get first aid ready. And we thank our guests today for great tips for getting prepared. Thank you, Jeff Penny, Family Nurse Practitioner with Premier Health Urgent Care. We appreciate your joining us today. Thank you. If you want to know more, visit premierhealth.com slash healthnow. We'll be back. We hope you will. I'm Leslie Lane, and thanks for joining us. Watch for our next edition of Premier Health Now on air.